Welcome, everybody, to the Sports Experience Podcast. I am your co-host, Dom DiTola, with my co-host... Chris Quinn. And today we have a very special two-part episode, and I am just absolutely thrilled to have him in the building, Mr. Dave Margolis. Thank you, Dom. Thrilled yeah. to be here. Yeah, absolutely. welcome back for part two. Yeah, I'm ready for it. Uh, we, uh, big Mets fan, <clears throat> Dave, obviously. My entire life. Would you like me to cover the... Uh, Please. <laughs> when Dave was born. <laughs> there were no Mets back then. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but no, we got a really special episode on the 1986 Mets. Uh, we've been going through it. Uh, the first part, if you haven't listened, please go back and do it. It's absolutely great. Uh, we ran through uh, how the team was built, kind of the regular season, you know, some of their on and off field exploits. And today we're going to talk about the money games and uh, mm -hmm. some very interesting people. So uh, yeah, we're going to talk uh, postseason and maybe uh, post game, if you will, you yeah. know, those those in between <laughs> times. Uh, man, it, it, it's wild to hear the the stories from, I mean, from these guys, because you obviously know they're truthful and they're just so out of control Yeah, for being what you think a professional baseball team is, you know, mm -hmm. which you think is a bunch of professionals, but they're essentially a bunch of kids who get to play a game <laughs> and get paid millions of dollars. And really get to show things off. It, especially this team, because they are really a young team. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. they weren't a bunch of crafty veterans that had been around the league for a while. They were, you know, Doc and Daryl and, and how, how old was Dykstra? Like 25? 23. 23, yeah. yeah. The only guys really around 30 would be Knight, Hernandez, and, and Carter. Carter, really. And Carter, yeah. yeah. They were the perfect match for them mm -hmm. because they were professionals and the ones that were paying attention were like, oh, okay, this is how I go about my business. Mm -hmm. And they did have another veteran. And as we had discussed in the last episode, um, when they had their fight in Cincinnati between Knight and Davis, there was one Mets player that did not join the fight. He remained on the bench. This is the part that I found so interesting because I wasn't a huge baseball guy and I didn't know all the ins and outs. And when I was reading and researching, I thought George Foster was like their guy at the end of the season. No, uh-uh. <laughs> and then they were like... <laughs> he didn't make it. He was he gone did, at the end of the season. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't make it. And not even their guy, but I, I thought he was in that rotation of, you know, batting fifth or, you know Out what floors, I mean, batting yeah. sixth. But yeah. it, it was such a... In this Mets locker room, when he didn't come out and fight with the rest of the guys, Yeah, I bet they were just like, no, we don't want anything to do with this guy. And that's what happened with between Mookie coming back and Dykstra's emergence you, and Mitchell being able to pick up some slack in the outfield. Yeah, Mitchell playing every position. And, uh, and uh, importantly, uh, Foster, he, he wasn't contributing that much. No. It wasn't like he was a key player. He was... He was uh, on the fringes, and when he when he was released, he didn't. Uh, no, he didn't do anything, didn't after, really do anything that. after that. Yeah, and getting paid a lot, so he was yeah. getting paid like a, a top player right. and wasn't producing. Mm -hmm. So it, it wasn't a crazy release on the Mets end. It was crazy when you hear him, the excitement behind him when he got picked up. If that makes sense. Yeah, the whole thing was when when the Mets uh, signed him. Yeah, yeah, this, that was we were very excited. Yes, and then as soon as <laughs> that he, was short lived. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say as soon as he came out, the Mets fan just pretty much started booing yeah. him because he never produced. Yeah, yeah. And the uh, the whole thing with the saddest part was is he doesn't come out. You don't even have to fight in a baseball brawl, but when the bench is clear, you go out there either to break something up or just hold somebody Make back. Yourself I was going to say, yeah. yeah, you look for that other guy who doesn't want to fight and you go and you just <laughs> grab his shirt and you both look at each other like, hey, hey. Shall we dance? Yes. <laughs> but, but that's what I love about this team is the fact that there's camaraderie. 
there was so much camaraderie is that I have your back, you have mine. And the one guy that didn't, they got rid of him. They I didn't. Mean, he didn't make it to the end. He didn't make it to the end. And there end. was also a mixture on the team. I mean, obviously, they were... Uh, they like to party and, and drink and all that. But uh, uh, Mookie Wilson was, a, you know, a very straight laced, yeah. like a Bible reader type. Gary Carter, Gary Carter. was Mr. You know, wholesome. You Lights, know? yeah. yeah. And, uh, uh, so and they Tuffle all, too. Tuffle didn't. Tuffle wasn't was a very drinker. And then you get back <laughs> and you get further back into the plane, and then it gets into gambling <laughs> and a bunch of crazy <laughs> shit. They were saying that the gambling was getting. Dykstra was the most degenerate gambler of them all. <laughs> yes, and it was getting so out of control because guys would get resent, resentful. They would get, you know, like they would lose like $1,000 on their way to Pittsburgh and just be like, God damn it, That man. was my like, cocaine money. <laughs> exactly. We're going to Pittsburgh, guys. Come on. The parrot is waiting in the restroom. <laughs> and then you just hear, you know, Dykstra's got my money. So you <laughs> go oh, get it from good there. old nails. Oh. <laughs> so you knew it would get to the Coke dealer eventually. Exactly. Thanks for Exactly. Yeah. Precisely. But uh, no, so they're, they're rolling through this regular season. They're pissing everybody off. They clinched the division very early against the Pirates. I mean, the only team who could even sniff them was the 86 Phillies. And they didn't even win 90 games. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're 21 games out of first place. Mm -hmm. They're 21 and a half games out of first place. And, you know, they're on collision course, like you said in the last episode, Dave, with the Houston Astros. Mm -hmm. And Something that I I found uh, interesting, and this is so what baseball was doing, and I've said this in previous podcasts, but baseball would rather live in shit than work a shovel. Yep. They heard that Gooden had problems with drugs, and pretty much the only thing they did was they were like went to the I can't remember if they went to Cashin or they went to Ray Knight Peter Uberoff okay. at Ray Knight Ray Knight and he had said um, they had taught Ray had talked to Daryl and Daryl because uh, he uh, thought it was Daryl on drugs because they yeah. said it was a young black player, player that was and Strawberry basically narked on him yeah just said Doc and it'll feed into what happened after the season, not only with Gooden, but with Kevin Mitchell and him getting probably the shortest end of the stick for no reason whatsoever other than guys wanted to cover their own asses. Yep. Mm-hmm. And no. Yeah, just... But that's that's in the middle of this season, you kind of see, even though they're dominating, you can kind of see the, not the wheels coming off, but the paint not being so shiny. You know what I mean? Like people are like, whoa, like they have a player who's like seriously addicted to drugs and Gooden at that time was like seriously addicted to Coke. So like Mm -hmm. it was obvious that they were the hardest partiers in the, in the league and they just went hard every single time. Mm-hmm. But they played good baseball. Yeah, well, right? Great what, baseball. What was Doc uh, 17 or 9 or something? I think yeah, so, while, yeah. While mm-hmm. doing the Coke. Uh... And then, uh, yeah, they don't even attribute his downfall to the cocaine. They attribute it more to Mel Stottlemyre, the pitching coach, messing with his delivery mm-hmm. and having him try and add something in addition to his fastball and his uh, 12 to 6 curve, which was, oh man, when that was on, that was beautiful yeah. to watch. Lord Charles, they called him. Yep. That one. Lord, because it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't Uncle Charlie. <laughs> it was more sophisticated Charles. than yeah. that. Yeah. Well, uh, I, uh, you know, I always like to be protective of the Mets, but I blame a lot of Doc Gooden's issues on the drugs because yeah. you've seen pictures of him uh, when he's 
been strung out. Uh, it's pretty he looks horrible. Yeah. yeah, he looks like and a different I, person. And, I, and I stopped being pleased when I heard he was cleaned up because he always seems to slide back. Whereas Strawberry seems to have turned himself around, and I was quite surprised to see that. He's, yeah, he's written, yeah. like, he, he got into the whole kind of an inspirational speaker and all that, yeah. Yeah, he, he got involved with the uh, religious aspect of the recovery, and apparently it's helped. I yeah. mean, he's turned his life around as much as he can, so, I yeah. mean. You know, the worst thing probably for him was going back to L.A. more than anything, mm -hmm. than actually being with the Mets. Yeah, but going back to his that's another show. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another that's another weird show <laughs> with Daryl. Yeah, so they clinched the they clinched the regular season, and it's obvious that they're the best team in baseball. I yeah. think that with their 108 wins, nobody's questioning that they're gonna be the team to beat. Yeah, mm -hmm. and. They have the uh, privilege, I guess, of facing off against the Astros in a seven-game uh, National League Championship Series. And what I, uh, I only noticed this researching, and I didn't think I knew it before, but I must have known it at the time, that that series was supposed to uh, open the first two games at Shea and then go to yeah. Houston and then go back, but because of a conflict with football... Oh, that's they flipped what it, was. it and they played the first two games and the last games at uh, at Houston. You know, I always found that strange because you know, obviously, I've watched watched the games on TV before uh, from that series, like on ESPN Classic, and I'm like, why are they? Why are games one and two at the Astrodome? I was thinking maybe it's something weird, like when they have the wild card in one division winner, they just alternate every mm -hmm. single time. But oh, it was football. That's yeah. that's very interesting, yeah. huh? I assume. Yeah. The, yeah, I think back then they would alternate year to year who who was the home team in the playoffs, and uh, there was a conflict, so they, they flipped it the other way. Well, uh, unfortunately for the, the Mets, though, in that series, there's uh, somebody that's uh, trying to come back to haunt them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, granted, Houston had a really good team that year. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they, were, they had a great pitching staff. You had Nolan Ryan, uh, uh, Al Nippert, right, or Bob Nippert, um, and then... Bob, Bob, Bob Nepper. Nepper, yeah, that was yeah. it. That's uh -huh. who I'm thinking of, the Red Sox. Right. But yeah... Um, Great pitching, Glenn Davis with some power in the lineup, uh -huh. Billy Hatcher. Clemens, like they had a great Astros. Oh, so or, yeah. I mean, yeah. Clemens for Boston. Was it, uh, yeah. was it Jose Cruz a player? Oh, yeah. Jose Cruz. Very good player. Oh, God, yeah. 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 And then, um, yeah, Bill Doran playing some second base for him. I mean, they were just a really solid team. Yeah. I mean, really, really good uh, division-winning team. But they had their ace in the hole, who we talked about earlier, who was uh, – Traded for Danny Heap, as mm -hmm. you brought up, yep. uh, who came to the Mets. Mike Scott. <clears throat> and Mike Scott pitched in the division clinching game, a no-hitter that year against mm -hmm. the San Francisco Giants. And uh, he had a little bit of movement on his pitches, which <laughs> may or may not have been natural. Well, this is the thing that the Mets kept bringing up, was that he had sandpaper, was what literally what they were saying, and that he was scuffing the ball. And that helps, if anybody doesn't know, it helps the ball with... Movement, it, mm -hmm. I mean, it pretty much changes the trajectory of the ball, so you can't really target it. It's almost like they're he's throwing breaking balls, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But mm -hmm. they're curves. And the Mets kept asking for the ball to be looked at, and the ump was pretty much just like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, it's such a weird take on it because the Mets are pretty much saying, like, this is obvious. And the ump is pretty much saying, like, just play just play yeah. and the way that um houston had set up their starting rotation for that series it was three men it was just a three-man rotation just like the mets did but it was scott ryan and uh nipper so mm -hmm. you only have three which means scott's pitching three times and in the first four games scott pitches games one and four 
and absolutely shuts him down, including that game one where it was one to zero and he beats Doc Gooden, who was throwing BBs that day. Yeah. I think at his first two starts, they were both complete games, yeah. and he let up, I think, eight hits yeah. over two games. So. And when you watch these Mets trying to swing and hit these pitches, they're not even close. Yeah. I mean, it was almost sad to watch. Yeah, and when people say that like it changes the trajectory, you can see when they're swinging and they are so off. Mm-hmm. It, it would be like me trying to swing at a curveball. <laughs> like, I don't know where the hell that's going to go, <laughs> but that's that's how almost blatant it was yeah. now were, when you were watching it in 86 was this a big story yeah yeah it was a big story because it was just like like dom saying everybody was saying like scott is unbeatable and he's going to be pitching game seven yeah so that's why when we one jumped to game six yet but when they got to game six uh, game six was really a must win exactly because it looked like they couldn't beat scott but what i what i found so fascinating and the houston and also boston series you know, they're a testament to it, and even their comebacks in the regular season is they would get down in these games. Like game three, especially, they're mm-hmm. tied one. They're tied at one in the series. Um, they're down, I think, three four zero, and they come all the way back to the bottom of the ninth. And Backman gets on with a drag, nice little drag bunt, uh-huh. outrunning the first base, uh-huh. and then you bring up Dykstra. And Dykstra takes one off of Dave Smith into right <laughs> field, and everybody's going crazy. They, they just kept pulling it out. So they're up 2-1, but then you get Scott in game four. It was also said, by the way, that uh, Wally Backman may have been well out of the baseline. He, beating when you out watch that, it, yeah. yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily as blatant as uh, Joey Cora evading Mattingly in the 95 uh, ALCS, uh-huh. but he took some liberties as far as uh, <laughs> outreaching uh, Glenn Davis there at first base. Uh-huh. Yeah, he definitely took a little step outside, but hey, that's all right. That's all right. They didn't call it. Yeah. Well, they didn't call Scott's uh, little uh, glove and uh, hand uh, ritual. Well, well the, the great thing for Mike Scott about that was whether, he, I mean, I think he was probably scratching the ball up, but even if he wasn't, it was in their heads. Yeah, exactly. It, it was yeah, in their heads. So You could see uh, Carter was probably the most vocal after his at bats, like he would look at the umpire and be like, "Are you kidding me? Are you freaking kidding me?" But uh, yep, Scott pitches game four, but they end up pulling it out in game five. They win the two of the three at Shea, which mm-hmm. is a huge advantage. Going back to Houston, up three two, but knowing if there is going to be a tomorrow for a game seven after a game six, you got to close them out because Scott's going to pitch, and that's always one of the big baseball what ifs is. If he pitches Game Seven, you could have seen a Houston-Boston World Series. Honestly, that. But who knows? Maybe they could have came out like gangbusters and beat him. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's yeah. hard to it's hard to know with the what ifs. But because the, they were winning games, they shouldn't win all year. Exactly. So. But um, one thing about that is that you know Game Sevens are always uh, very dramatic. Books written about Game Seven, Game World Series, but it's always Game Sixes. Yeah, got to be dramatic because they got to win that to get there. It's always a case of one team can win it all and one team may go home. Yeah. So those guys, as we'll see in the World Series as well, <laughs> uh, Game Six can be pretty good. I was going to say the Mets; those are the games. Game, six the game is sixes. good for the Mets, and Game Six doesn't start out good for him though. Um, Bobby Ojeda's on the mound, um, who been consistent all year, but he gives up a three spot in the bottom of the first, and that's when you know you kind of start getting worried. And and Houston, their starting rotation. Very solid. Uh, Nepper goes nine innings without, or goes eight innings without giving up a run. Like they're not really touching him up for anything. And then the top of the ninth starts with Lenny Dykstra at the plate, down three to zero, mm-hmm. and that's when the fun begins. <laughs> Dykstra had talked about because he's at the plate, he hits one into right the right center field gap, and 
it's mostly arms because this pitch is down, it looks like it'd be down and away. And he somehow muscles it into the right center field gap, and it just kind of drops between um, Billy Hatcher and Kevin Bass. Mm-hmm. And you have no idea how it happened, but you know it rolls all the way to the wall, and he ends up on third base with a leadoff triple. Mm-hmm. And then you have Mookie following him. Mookie hits a nice little kind of you know line drive that should have been caught by Bill Doran at second base. It's kind of one of those little Texas leaguer like hump, hump back liner, hump back kind of liner, thing, yeah, little bingos. And Doran somehow misplays his jump. It looks like he kind of goes in for the ball when he should have. If he had taken a couple steps back, he could have just you know kind of gloved it and been, you know, possibly able to nail Dykstra off a third base or just keep him there with one out. It gets through. He scores. Then uh, Hernandez comes up, uh, or no, no, no. It was uh, I believe Kevin Mitchell comes up. He ends up getting out, but the bases end up loaded where um, I believe both Knight and Hernandez score on a, um, on a single. And uh, they tie the game. They mm-hmm. tie the game in the ninth inning. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to extras. But it's not just one extra inning. <laughs> Dave, you want to talk about this, what you were feeling well, during I'll, watching I'll, this game? I'll say, I'll say this. It's like uh, being behind three to nothing in the first, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't too scared. Because yeah. I figured that team will score, the Mets will score three runs. Yeah. Uh, but as the game went on, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I started, to... wait a minute, when is this going to happen? Uh, one of the, my great memories of that uh, uh, game was that I had a friend uh, who lived in Queens yeah. and was a Mets fan. And uh, he told me that during that 16-inning game, yeah. he had various errands to do around town <laughs> on his bike or walking. He said he never missed a pitch because every... Window he passed, he could hear the TV, he could hear the radio. People were in their windows shouting out what was going on. Oh, man. All the way through, never missed anything uh, from the game. Um, the other thing I remember about that game is that uh, what happened was they went into extra innings. Yeah. Uh, the Mets went ahead in the 14th. They top did. Top of the 14th. Mm-hmm. In the bottom of the 14th, uh, Billy Hatcher yep. hits a home run to tie the game. Oh, the foul pole, yeah. Rushing. Oh, rushing. man. My wife at the time... Now, she was not a baseball fan, but she the game was always on, and she got to know the players. I mean, yeah. she, But she was very much a Fairweather fan. If things went bad, she was like, I'm, I'm out of here. You know? Yeah. I mean, the Mets started that year two and three, and she was like, well, this isn't their year. <laughs> so Hatcher homers, and she goes, she goes, I, I can't stand to watch anymore. I got to get out of here. I got to go. <laughs> so she gets in her car. She just starts driving around. We were in Los Angeles. I'm just starts driving around. She's listening to the game, of course. Yeah. She, she can't resist it. Uh, she didn't listen to baseball on the radio. She wasn't familiar with it. They replayed Hatcher's home run. Oh, she thought he she freaked one? out. Oh, <laughs> she no. was like oh. shrieking in the car. Uh, and then, uh, uh, yeah, I don't think she she listened to it on the radio. Came home said it was after it was over, but she was losing it. On, oh on the, gosh, on the, on the highway. <laughs> <laughs> thought it was like back to back home runs. She's like, oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, and as I mentioned, and I'm glad you've got the details because I don't really actually remember the play-by-play like a lot of folks do. Uh, is that um, the big moment was uh, in the you know the, the Mets went ahead by three in the 16th inning? Yeah, uh, you know, kind of felt like you could relax, except exactly. not in they that kind game. Of broke through, yeah. but to Houston's credit, they were so resilient and they put guys on base. Well, they, they scored two. 
Yeah. And then uh, the great the great scene you probably oh, remember yeah. was Keith Hernandez going out to the mound. Uh, to to Roscoe, Ke- yeah. Kevin yep. Bass up at the Kevin time. Kevin Bass was up and he and was he, a bad breaking ball hitter. And he go and he goes, if you throw a, if you throw anything but a slider, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick your ass. I'm yeah. gonna kill you, you know. <laughs> and because uh, Jesse had a big sweeping uh, that slider. That was his best pitch, yeah. And uh, and uh, that was that was the finish of it. It was uh, it's one of those ones you kind of sit and sob for a while after oh, it's done totally. because you're just exhausted. You just you just can't believe that yeah. it happened and it happened in that fashion and they were spent. The Mets were spent at that point. Yeah. I mean, after sixteen innings. Well, after a after a six game intense series yeah. and then the last game is sixteen innings. I, I imagine that they're ready to just unwind. Which <laughs> is, and I'll say this: yeah, which, that game would not have been improved if you started every extra inning with a man on second base. That's all I'm going to say. No, Dave, I <laughs> totally agree. Thank you for pointing that out. I I, I understand why you do it during covid times yeah. like i get that you want to finish stuff up keep people less exposed but mm-hmm. no yeah. no second base in extra innings that's <laughs> literally nonsense yeah i don't understand giving somebody a man on base i'll never understand that I, um but I, I i yeah i don't like that it can't be explained how he got there yes, yeah you know, exactly in the box score it doesn't you know it doesn't compute <laughs> no yeah. it's silly why can't we go 20 innings if that's what's going to happen you know the uh um the interesting thing, though, was is uh, there was probably some relief in that dugout because no Mike Scott. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, you've just avoided that. You've avoided the possibility of a Game 7. You're tired, but you want to party. And this is where we get to the most fun plane <laughs> ride in human history. Something straight out of Caligula, if you think about it. Well, I couldn't remember exactly what who their airline was but they uh it was american airlines (laughs) well so american i think took this flight but their original airline they had to i think they had to get on to an american flight because their plane wasn't big enough because they brought their wives which davy johnson who was such an old school baseball guy he literally was like wives need to be in the kitchen don't bring them on the plane and like that's what an old school baseball guy he was (laughs) and as sexist as that sounds it was a good idea for this flight to maybe keep them off. I was going to say, he definitely didn't have the right angle, but <laughs> yeah. he had the right uh, thought. I don't even know. like Because <laughs> the partying that happened was so wild, Dave. <laughs> and the uh, it was led by a group in the back of the plane. It's... Uh, as Lenny Dykstra described, you have your milk drinkers in front, like Mookie, and then maybe like Gary Carter and Tuffle. Then you kind of get towards the middle, and then he's talking about how like him and Kevin Mitchell, you know, they're gambling and drinking and hanging out. But then you get to the very back, and the very back is populated by three guys. Um, uh, what was it? Doug Sisk, mm-hmm. relief pitcher. Jesse Orozco, relief pitcher. And Danny Heap, their pinch hitter off the bench. They were not only heavy drinkers... They were, as Bob Ojeda referred to the entire team as, a bunch of vile motherfuckers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick break to uh, let you know that our Sports Experience podcast is brought to you by Angle Studio here, and uh, they're here in Tucson for all your recording needs. And that's where everything went crazy. They took pleasure in getting guys to the back of the plane who didn't drink very often, like a Raphael Santana, and having him piss himself on the plane. Uh, He pissed on Ed Hearn, their backup catcher. And their shenanigans were a little more cruel, but two of my favorite guys were Roger McDowell and backup third baseman Howard Johnson. They were masters of the hot foot in Mm -hmm. the locker room. 
or in the uh, dugout to their managers. You get the matchbook, and then you start the uh, cigarette, and then light it on fire on if the you, cleat. If you ever want to see, there's actually an instructional video, instructional <laughs> video of these two players, and they lay out exactly how you do it, and you see them like wrapping the gum around, and one player looks at the other and goes, <laughs> "Oh, is that how you do it? I do it like this." <laughs> it, it's such a great little baseball, you know, hot foot moment. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but they were also masters at the bubblegum bubble. Yeah, on the top of, of the cap. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. pretty much every game. The rally caps. Yeah. So they're like I said, they're they're doing funny things. Like uh, everyone is obviously hammered. Everyone is so drunk. Ed Hearn passes out in his seat. And one thing Roger McDowell does is he has a salad from his airline food, and he starts putting <laughs> the lettuce and the tomatoes and the onions, and he's on top of Hearn's bald head. And he takes a fork and he starts eating a salad <laughs> off of his teammate's head to make people laugh. Well, it's so ridiculous because they bring all their wives on this plane. They essentially drink all the beer on the plane. And then they start passing out champagne. Yeah. They pretty much drink all the champagne. And then the flight attendants get the bright idea because they... They're going to the World Series. They want to party. They decide to pass out pieces of cake. Oh boy! <laughs> and yeah. everybody is so hammered that all these cases get start getting passed out, and you just hear, foom, foom, and it's just cake flying, and you're just like, oh Jesus! It and then it's a huge just food fight. The wives are throwing up in the seat in front of them in the little pocket where you have the barf bags. They're not even getting to the barf bags. Well, this is interesting because I know Dom can hold his liquor probably better than anybody I know, but if you're with people that normally don't drink yep. and they think they can drink as many drinks as you and you in your mind you're like, whoa, you need to slow down and they don't, <laughs> that's what all these wives pretty much happen because they're not big drinkers like no. these guys. Mm -hmm. They're at-home wives, you know what I mean? And they got sloshed. And... There are alleged stories of some of the wives making out on the plane. Yes. With, which, with each other? With each other. Oh. Yeah. Which Maybe just, I will read that book. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There, <laughs> now Dave's ready to read this book. You keep your pants on because it's Dom's book. We'll no. see what page it opens to. Exactly. That, that, that's actually the first chapter is the flight. And uh, they, as Dykstra describes, they absolutely destroy this plane. Um, the gamblers ripped out one of the seat backs and they just started playing cards on it and drinking. <laughs> um, the people were mashing peas in other people's hair from the dinner that they had. I mean... It was chaos. It was absolute chaos on this plane. And by the time they land in New York, it's like a four-hour flight too. So it's not, a, it's not a short flight. It's Houston to New York. Mm -hmm. um, they're staggering off the plane. The wives have cake in their hair. Like, well, it, there's a bunch of fans out in the airport to meet them to be like, "Woo! You made the World Series!" They come off, and pretty much all the players are holding their wives up <laughs> with vomit and cake, literally just pretty much caked on them. That makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah it does. Hence the name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's got. It had to be one of because nowadays we would have had pictures galore, yeah. but it had to be one of those sites where people are like, "Woo!" And then they see them come off, and they're like. Is that the Mets or is that they just pick up a bunch of homeless guys? What the hell is going you, you on? Guys, you guys won, right? Yeah, exactly. They have an animated video of Kevin Mitchell, Lenny Dykstra, Doc Gooden, and Daryl Strawberry talking about the flight. And it's uh -huh. like animating what's going on. And when Dykstra's talking about Mookie sitting in the front, interspersed throughout the entire video is just chaos happening and Mookie in the front seat just drinking a milk. <laughs> and when they're getting off the plane, you can just see all the destruction and he's like, drinking his milk and he looks back and he's like 
Oh, okay. And then he just walks <laughs> off the plane. It's pretty ridiculous. I'll see you at the ballpark, fellas. Yeah, right? <laughs> With his big old smile. Oh, absolutely. But uh, they don't have a lot of time to, uh, you know, kind of get their wits about them because they have a World Series to play. Well, I feel like this is unfair and because um, I'm a big soccer guy. I don't know if you know that, but <clears throat> it happens at the World Cup where they'll have like four days in between games, which is super so- short for soccer. But to just beat the Astros and then literally like 24 hours mm-hmm. later, they're like, hey, you got to be in New York for the Red Sox. It's like, we can't give these guys like a day and a half. <laughs> like, yeah. even that's like, I feel like they, they should have these windows in between. But with baseball, I feel like that's the way baseball is, yeah. mm-hmm. is you have to play every day. Yeah. What were, what were your feelings going into that World Series? You remember, Dave? Uh, well, uh, I'll say this at the time, I, um, uh, you know, I so excited. This was such a great season. When it, we got to the postseason, I took off two weeks from work because oh, that's awesome. I wanted to be able to watch all the games and I didn't want to risk being at work and, uh, oh, I got to go. The game's coming on and something, you know, yeah. oh, we need you to do this. Could you take it? I didn't want, I didn't want that to happen at all. No. Good, good. So you can imagine how I felt considering them getting knocked out in the playoffs because yeah. then I have a whole like week of vacation <laughs> with nothing to do but be miserable exactly. about what happened. So I was, I was relieved uh, to get there and I was excited. I was just excited to play the Red Sox and uh, excited to be playing in Fenway Park. I thought that was going to be uh, oh, really great and exciting. And uh, I would say, um, I, I, I'm never confident. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. But I felt yeah. good, you know. They yeah. won a great series, and uh, it, it definitely, you know, I, I never expressed the feeling like, well, whatever happens in the World Series is fine. They won the playoffs. It's like, no, it would have been a big, big uh Well, you win 100 upset. games, you better not uh, yeah, come it, away empty. Yeah, it's a horrible feeling. So, uh, so there was a lot of that uh, feeling throughout both series that well if they if they lose it what you know how do you how do you feel about the season i always i I always have this philosophical thing i think about guys if i can stray a little bit here go ahead yeah is that i there's a thing i refer to as uh, blake's double okay remember casey at the bat oh yeah yeah blake hit a double everybody's going nuts in this the poem casey at the bat yeah and 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 then they end up Casey strikes out and loses it so i think so with that moment of joy and euphoria when blake doubled (laughs) Does that still exist when you think back on it? Do you think back what a glorious moment that was, or does it not matter because it was destroyed by the next batter? Well, they don't call the palm Blake's double, so <laughs> obviously. <laughs> so that's what I go through. It's like can, can, you know, because like, uh, do you remember? Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, Andy Chavez made this tremendous game-saving oh, in, catch in the Cardinals series. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, oh, that was so gnarly. And they replay it all the time. And to me, I, I, go, I go, all it does is make me remember that they ended up losing. Yeah. The, the thing and. Uh, uh, that's it. So it's like you, you got to win. In other words, you, you can't. You know, you got to go all the way and win the whole thing. Or the season's not a waste, but it's it's crushing. It's, it's like, a disappointment. It's like when I see Tony Gwynn in Game One hit that home run off the facade at Yankee Stadium, and I was like, "This is the greatest day of my life." And then, oh no, Tino Martinez. No, <laughs> I, I understand completely what you. So mean. Uh, so so there was great excitement and great uh, dread. At the yeah. same time. <laughs> were you excited that they were playing the Red Sox, who was the was. Notorious, yeah. notorious losers? Yeah. Well, not for that reason, <laughs> but because it was historic. And that's I, what I, I thought. And I've always been kind of a Red Sox fan because they sort of paralleled the Mets in having these ups and downs and yeah. never really getting there most of the time. So. And have that great stadium that it's iconic to watch yeah. any baseball game yeah. there. Yeah. So, yeah. Have you, have you been? No. Have you been? To, oh, no. Uh-uh. I, think- I, I was there 
one time and they weren't playing, but you can take a tour of it. Oh, cool. And it was so, it was really cool because we're in the press box and then they go, okay, let's walk down the hall. And we just like walked down a hallway and they got, here's the green monster. I was used to Dodger Stadium where you, when you walk around the stadium, you are walking around yeah, the stadium. And it not was like, inside, yeah. You know, 300 feet away, you know, it was right there. And uh, it was it was amazing to watch. Uh, they, they had like an insurance company had oh, cool. rented the field to play a softball game or something oh, when I was awesome. there. And it was just great. To, what a thrill for people, you know. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, and they, uh, they had had their own uh, postseason wildness that year, the yeah. Red Sox. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'll just set this up because that's, I think, both teams had such great resiliency is they were down 3-1 in their series and only came back because in game five they sent it to extras when Dave Henderson hit a three-run homer off of a fork ball off of Donnie Moore at um, the Big A in in Anaheim against the Angels and that there's a great quote by Bob Boone when he's on the airplane he was the Angels catcher kind of at the end of his career and he's talking to Don Sutton who was one of their pitchers also at the end of his career and Sutton had kind of asked him like all right, we're going back to Fenway for game six and seven. How do you feel? And Boone said, I don't know, but sometimes when you take the air out of the balloon, it just doesn't go back in again. Oh. <laughs> and to Boston's credit, they won games five, six, and seven. And yeah. uh, found themselves playing the Mets in game one and two. Now, and did, did Boone say this prior to game six, or was this after? This was on the flight to Fenway that's, to Boston. That's, for a, that's, a, that's a very unlikely thing for a player to say. That basically... Uh, giving yeah. up we may be done yeah. yeah but they were down to their henderson was down to his last strike with two outs in yeah. that game and even in the bottom of the inning the angels came back to tie it and send it into further extras even when boston pulled it out unfortunately for them but yeah it, it must have when you watch that game the fans are all into it it was a, just a crushing blow for that franchise they really never recovered until basically the early 2000s from that and wasn't uh, Gene Mock the manager that Gene year? Mock, who, who was always proclaimed a genius, but never actually got to the to the World Series. The, the manager of the '64 Phillies with that historic collapse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, and he was in baseball for fifty years. Forever. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Unfortunate for him not to pull it out. He was on the top step with Reggie Jackson. If you watch that game again, so. Hmm. But anyway, to the World Series. Yeah, We're at get, Shea Stadium. Sorry for going off on a tangent. No, nah, no. Nah, you know I love a tangent. I just wanted tangents. To, <laughs> I just wanted to say the 86 postseason is one of baseball's absolute best. Yeah. So, Well, the intensity of baseball back then, which I feel like in the postseason just gets amplified, was so ridiculous. And I want to bring up game one because I felt like there was an incident that happened in game one that we see in game six that... If Bill Buckner didn't have this <laughs> happen yeah. in game six, will we be talking about Tim Tuffle as this calamitous... The goat. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. it, they end up... Um, Mets lose one nothing on a routine grounder to Tuffle at second, and he just lets it go in between his legs, just like in game six. Yeah. With, it, it's such an interesting turn of events where I bet... When that happened later in the series, Tuffle was happy for multiple reasons. You know what I mean? Like, I bet he was just like, oh, thank God. Well, like, you, you know that the reason he was playing that night is because the game's won starters. Uh, Doc Gooden was pitching for the Mets. Yep. And Bruce Hurst, not Roger Clemens, was mm-hmm. pitching for the Red Sox. And as a southpaw, 
the way Davy Johnson would usually have his lineup go is Tuffle as a righty would face the left-handed pitchers, and then Backman, even though he was a switch hitter, would face the righties. I didn't know that. Yeah, That's back, interesting. Backman was a useless as a right-handed yeah. hitter. He really was not a right-handed hitter. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Tuffle was the they had acquired him. Uh, the offseason prior for Minnesota, basically. For that reason. For, for the exact reason, yeah. and he was in the game, and the ball found him, unfortunately. And then uh, game two, you that, have... Just to interrupt oh, go, a second oh, here, that, that, that remi- what that reminded me of was the 73 World Series, the Mets ran against the Oakland yep. A's, where uh, Felix Mion made an error to lose oh, the game. Okay. And, I, and I remember, and I, the same thought flashed through my mind, and, <laughs> and what was said at the time was, well, it's too bad he made that error, but we wouldn't have been here without him. And yeah. that was kind of the thing. And I think it's what the club felt. It was like, yeah. yeah, no, they, they, um, they let it go. But unfortunately in game two, uh, you have Roger Clemens in classic pre mutant Roger Clemens form <laughs> yeah, yeah. and he shuts him down again. Yeah. So they lose the first two games at home. And, and that's gotta be heartbreaking for you, Dave watching <laughs> well, when come you come across this table at you, Chris, when you take two weeks <laughs> off, especially you're just like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is the worst yeah. start ever. Uh, uh, and, and both games at Shea, too. So it's yeah, like they're yeah. losing home field advantage. Uh, they're... Yeah, what I remember... Well, one th- also another thing about that season to remember when you're talking about playing at Fenway is there was no interleague play then. No. So it was a big deal when you went into, oh, the, yeah. into the to the visitor's park. And uh, and you probably remember this, is that they, they lost two games at home. They were going to Fenway. Davey Johnson called off the, per- the workout. Yep. A- and if there's any park you want to get familiar with, it's an eclectic, weirdly Band shaped box, park like, one, like yeah. Fenway. And he said, uh, take it easy and we'll see you at the game, uh, which was turned brilliant, I guess. <laughs> People say it's one of the most brilliant things yeah. that he's done. Um, uh, and the Mets also have an ace in the hole going into this game because their three-man rotation, they have um, uh, Gooden and Darling starting games one and two. They have former Red Sox Bobby Ojeda going in game three. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a story in this Jeff Perlman book about him seeing um, two of Boston's top brass at a restaurant there before the third game. Mm-hmm. They smile at him, you know, toast their glasses, <laughs> and he's like, and he left Boston on very bad terms. Uh-huh. So he's absolutely ready and ready to be dialed in to stick it to the team that got rid of him. And the Red Sox, without Clemens and Hurst, they're sending one of the most eclectic pitchers to the mound in that game, Dennis Oil Can Boyd. And he was a, lot, a bit of a trash talker. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had made some comments after game two how he was going to shut him down in game three and have this thing all wrapped up at Fenway. And uh, if there's any team in baseball that you don't want to talk shit to, <laughs> it's the 86 Mets. Uh-huh. Because first batter of the game... Good old nails. He takes him deep right near the pesky pole in right field, and the route is on. Yeah. That is when you could tell the Mets weren't going to lie over and die. Because I bet going down two games, some teams might not necessarily lose that game, but not show that gumption right, right. off the bat. Yeah. And, man, they right off, they were just like, no, we're here to win. Yeah, games, yeah. games three and four. Carter had a couple dingers, I think, right. in game four. And... Over that maybe monster. the hang maybe the hangover wore off. Yeah, the plane <laughs> there ride. <you> go. <laughs> maybe the hangover well, finally wore off. Well, I would say that when they were down by two, I, I have to. I mean, I wasn't happy. Yeah, I, I I certainly wasn't giving up, and I was as always in a situation like that. You figure they win one, they're back in it. You know. Yep. But again, the specter of. Uh, Taking two weeks vacation and right. <laughs> going home with nothing was uh, was a little rough, but uh, 
And um, after they won game three, though, that's as soon as they, you're right, yeah. as soon as one game, they're right back in it. Yeah. I bet the whole city of New York was like, that turned everything around. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the, the good thing is, is that games three and four, even though they're, Boston's running with a four man rotation. So you got Boyd and uh, Neppert pitching for them. So they run right through them. But Bruce Hurst, who had one of the best postseason pitching efforts in a losing effort, is at game five in Fenway, and he manages to shut them down. So it sets up arguably one of the greatest baseball games ever played, yeah. game six of the nineteen. I think, I think Hurst was, he would have been the MVP, yeah. right, of the World Series, except for how game six went. Yeah, yeah. and he, he did an incredible job, yeah. did an incredible job. And uh, doesn't start out so well for the Mets in game six, though. It's... Uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit rocky. It's just like some of those Astros games. It's a lot like games that they, throughout the season, they would go down and then come back. And mm-hmm. then, like, that team definitely didn't have the dyadic. They didn't quit. Know? They didn't yeah, they, quit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They didn't quit on each other. And Boston sending Clemens to the mound again for a second uh-huh. time. And he's doing pretty well against mm-hmm. them. And really not scratching anything across the board. And... It's going back and forth, and uh, Boston ends up taking the game, ends up going into extra innings. And Dave Henderson, the hero of the 86 LCS, hits a home run off Rick Aguilera, who comes in for relief. And uh, anything else you wanted to bring up before during that game, Dave, at all that you remember? Or? Um, uh, game six, we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, not really. I would say uh, that I didn't. Yeah, I just had the feeling like you guys described was that I got, you know, I just didn't feel they were ever out of it. You know? Yeah. It's like I can't imagine these guys just going quietly and that something was going to happen. And uh, and now in that in that game was Clemens, and I don't remember the details, was he, he came out of the game and there's some question whether yes. he kind of wanted out. Yeah, there's, there's questions they ask because he did have a blister on one of his pitching fingers on his right hand. And... um there's debate whether McNamara said he Clemens wanted out or Clemens said McNamara took him out mm-hmm. because they're in a national league ballpark. Cause they're playing game six at Shea. Um, they have to pinch hit for Clemens. They decided to pinch hit and try and get more runs on the board. So they send up, uh, he was a rookie then Mike Greenwell, who mm-hmm. used to play for the Sox. Sure. He came up and struck out, mm-hmm. but who knows what happens if they leave Clemens in the game. And, you know, they're running through all their relievers and they get to, um, I believe, the bottom of the 10th, correct? And it's uh, Calvin Chiraldi on the mound for uh, Boston, who was a former An ex-Met. Yes. <laughs> he was roommates with a couple of the guys on that 86 team when they were in the minor leagues. Uh-huh. And he gets the first two. He gets the first two hitters. He gets Backman and Hernandez. Hernandez, after his at-bat, which he'll talk about, and they even talked about it in the post-game interview of the seventh eventual seventh game, they asked him what he did when he was out, and he said, I went into Davy Johnson's office, cracked open a beer, and <laughs> smoked just a cigarette. smoked a cigarette <laughs> and, and started, started, watching, started the game. watching the game. And he thought it was over. He thought it was over. Yep. And then coming up to the plate right after um, Keith Hernandez was Gary Carter. Mm-hmm. Gary Carter, nice little liner into left field. You know, you're down by two runs. You're down five to three. Lines it in the left field. When he gets to first base, he sees Bill Robinson. And this is always a great story. And he looks at Bill Robinson and said, I'm not making the last out of this fucking World Series. <laughs> Kevin Mitchell comes up next. This is an interesting one because Mitchell 
prior to this at bat, like when the inning started, he's not thinking he's going to be in the game. He is in his underwear in the clubhouse making travel reservations to go back home to San Diego. Because he thought the game was <laughs> yeah. over. Yeah. So they're like, Mitch, get down here. You got you to hit. So he puts on his uniform. He goes out and gets a base hit into left, into left center field. He gets to first base to Bill Robinson. And he says, I'm not making the last <laughs> fucking out of this fucking World Series. Ray Knight comes up next, hits a little bingo into center field. Gets to first base, and guess what he says? <laughs> they all three of them, independent of each other, said the exact same thing, which makes it so incredible mm -hmm. because, you know, you have um, Carter scores, I believe, on the, the night single. Yeah. Uh -huh. And then you have Mitchell ending up at third base mm -hmm. and Mookie Wilson's batting. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dave, you want to take it from here? Well, that, 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 uh, I'm not going to make the last. That was kind of the mantra of the team at that yeah. point there. And so, uh, so Mookie's up. And they've replaced Chiraldi, by the way. I forgot to mention that and put in Bob Stanley. Bob Stanley, right. And so uh, Mookie, I was happy to have Mookie up because Mookie was a guy who, you know, had a thing for drama and, and, yeah. and put the bat on the ball usually. And uh, the before the great moment that we all remember from that game, Stanley threw an inside at his feet. Fortunately, he skipped over and didn't, if it hit him in the foot, it would have been a different game. Yeah, they would have yeah. slowed at the bases. Uh, he, he skipped over it, but that brought home a run when, he, when, the, when the ball got away. It was Rich Gedman, the catcher, I think? Yeah, Gedman was then. catching, yeah. And so then there was the big moment where uh, uh, Mookie hits this grounder down to first base. And of course, having seen Mookie play all year, I'm thinking, well, there's a hit where he can beat it out because he would do that a lot. And it looked like it could have been. And, and, uh, and then there's that moment where Buckner goes down and the ball goes through his legs. And I was just, I, I, well, you can't see this on a podcast. I was like this. <laughs> oh, I bet. Mouth dropped open and for a while, and then just kind of, you know, uh, it was unbelievable. You know? Well, you hear uh, Vin Scully calling it, and he's like, and a routine grounder down to first. Like, he has no thought that he's yeah. not going to pick it up. Yeah. And then it goes in between his legs, and he's just like, uh, 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 uh. like, it must have been so stunning, especially Buckner, who was a great first baseman. It, it, yeah. Yeah. And a great Dodger. Had been a Dodger for years. And the... Well, the, uh, there's an interesting thing about that, the reason that he's in the game at that time. They had had a defensive replacement first baseman named Dave Stapleton on their roster. He would come in late in games to relieve Buckner because by that point, Buckner has been in the league, you know, 16, 17 years. He's got some old hips. Old knees, old at bad ankles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And oh, he, ankles, yeah. You could always tell with his, the high tops that he used yeah. to wear. Uh -huh. For whatever reason, and it's been said by, you know, a lot of people about McNamara, he wanted Buckner on the field for the final out of the World Series. He didn't want him running out from the bench. And it cost him. It cost them pretty bad. The World Series. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, but what people forget is there's still a game seven to play. Yeah. Well, and, the, well, uh, you know, I'm sure the thought was when oh, let's leave him in there. What's he? What's he got to do? Just catch a couple of throws and and you exactly. know, that's it. But that's that uh, saying in baseball: the ball will find, find you. you. Yes, yeah. yes, it will. And then uh, in New York, obviously, everybody's going crazy because you never would have thought it there's a sign on the scoreboard at Shea that said congratulations <laughs> after Hernandez makes that out uh -huh. and uh they're excited for a game seven because Boston has their four-man rotation they're supposed to play it the next day they're supposed to send oil cam Boyd up who they had just previously shelled but there's rain and they have to delay the game they have to play it another day mm -hmm. which means Bruce Hurst off of his game five can come and pitch the game seven for the Red Sox. And that's 
really bad break for the Mets fans and an even worse break when at the beginning of and the second inning of uh, game seven that they eventually play. Boston puts a three sub spot up on Darling. Yeah. It's almost like the facing Houston. Hurst was uh, it was like if they had to face Mike Scott in the yeah NLCS. Yeah. And uh, most importantly, what I remember is like uh, I was back at work because of the rain. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's awful. So where did you watch the game? But, then? No, I went into work and I go, I go, I am leaving here. Whatever, like, I'm leaving here at three o'clock. I've got to watch that game today. And everybody in the office goes, so do we. Yeah, <laughs> everybody was psyched for it. Oh, I uh, bet. So uh, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, uh, I can't recall how I felt, but the excitement of the game before kind of made me feel like there's nothing going to stop them now, you know. Exactly. That's, yes, uh, that's what people said yeah. from game six. There yeah. was the feeling that Mets had all the momentum and it was theirs to lose, even though the Red Sox went up, you know, mm-hmm. early in that game. Yeah, they yeah. still... Bogsy had a nice little uh, RBI single there to make it a 3-0 game. Oh, yeah. Boggs, what are you doing? <laughs> but yeah, it's... Uh, it's that series is so iconic that between the Buckner's legs and I don't know if you ever watch uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, but Larry David has this great thing where he walks around with Bill Buckner and people are yelling at him, yeah. talking shit, and he's like, Bill Buckner's just letting it roll off his shoulders, like you know, people are people, and Larry's getting like legitimately mad, like it was a great ball player, that was one play, and like it's just a. It's a great baseball moment, you know. The well, I saw a lot of games at Dodger Stadium when Buckner was a Dodger. And, sure, he was uh, a great uh, player for them. And I, I, I remarked at the time, every time I went to a Dodger game, he would make at least one really good play. Yeah, in the outfield, he was an outfielder. Then. Yeah, and it was like he was a very, very good player. And fortunately, Boston forgave him, and he kind of dealt with it. But he, you know, he took a lot of shit for I was a long say, time, like, very unfairly. He yeah. had like 2,800 yeah. hits in yeah. his career. I mean, he was an all star. Yeah. I think he won a maybe even won a batting. I think he title. won a batting title. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a good ball player. But yeah, but uh, that's baseball. That's baseball. The real, the real star, though. And I wanted to bring this up because he's a fascinating character. The real star of that game, and the one that kept the Mets in that game, was uh, Sid Fernandez. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because they went to a three-man rotation, they were kind of using him in long relief and spot stuff. And he came out and pitched two and one-thirds of some of the best you know, postseason pitching I've ever seen. Just shut him. down innings, yeah. There's a net bat against Jim Rice where he gives him nothing but gas. And Jim Rice is in the Hall of Fame, and he mm-hmm. couldn't even catch up. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I wanted to bring up about Sid, he uh, wasn't exactly the sharpest knife in the drawer. <laughs> um, there's a good story about him during that year going up to Davey Johnson because Johnson had his real estate license. And he was like, oh, Davey, I think I found it. It's a great home in Honolulu where I'm from. It's $160,000, which speaks to 1986. <laughs> um, you know, I, I absolutely love it, but I don't know if I can afford it. And Davey's like, you're a professional baseball player. You make 200 k right now a year. You can buy it, and Sid goes. No, I don't really want to live on forty thousand dollars a year. <laughs> he had no idea what a mortgage was or how anything <laughs> like that worked. And this is a guy who thought professional wrestling was real. Yeah, like, that he was would, the like, thing. Swore by it. Yeah, if, if if his teammates would be like, "No, wrestling's not real," he would be like, "No, it's a hundred percent." He was that kind of guy. Who was that? He was just that delusional. Well, that you well, know? well, Sid was a Hawaiian native, and I think he was the first yeah. Hawaiian native to appear in the series or things like that. And his first. All-star appearance, he went an inning, he walked the first two guys, uh-huh. then struck out the next three, which included <laughs> Rice and Mattingly. Oh, jeez. Uh, and and I mentioned you off yeah. off air that uh, I always look back and I go, it's always so frustrating to watch Sid pitch. It was always such a grind. Like I, 
And then you look at his numbers, and they're fantastic. And it's just that he didn't—he didn't look like an athlete. No, he didn't. He, he got a lot of foul balls. He threw, you know, walked a lot of guys, and you always felt like, oh, what a struggle. And then you look at it, and he'd thrown a, you know, a four hitter. Yeah. You know? complete game maybe walked a few guys here and there but yeah he he really kept him in the game because yeah, uh, oh yeah mm-hmm. then they had that big sixth inning mazzilli getting a hit uh hernandez driving in two with the bases loaded and they end up tying the game again and really take all the wind out of boston sales mm-hmm. because knight hits a homer the next inning they go up four three they go up, you know they end up going up six three and then boston makes it six five you know buckner had a hit in that sequence to get them back into the game but then strawberry uh strawberry goes deep yeah. in the uh, bottom of the eighth yeah that kinda... shot by strawberry that was just like it's icing not, on it's, the it's, cake it's, it's, yeah it's done, it's done now that's 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 a crusher yeah yeah that, that one was a no doubter and they 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 brought in their game for starter to pitch to him who was lefty lefty matchup and it just <laughs> <laughs> yeah well a couple of uh a couple of things about um uh, let's see, in, in game six, I tell you about my ex-wife and how she uh-huh. could not stand this. Well, of course, game six, she was, you know... Complete, herself? Completely oh, gone, man. and she took off in the car. I don't even think she was there for any of the game. I think she just <laughs> took off. And so she comes home... Well, the game had the game was over. The ball had gone through Buckner's yeah. legs. The Mets had won it. It was all over. But trying to teach her a lesson, <laughs> I rolled the... Ta- I taped every game. Uh-huh. I rolled it back, acting like it was still going. Oh, no. So she's sitting there with the Mets trailing and one strike away from losing constantly. And she's <laughs> screaming at me, why are you making me watch this? And I go, just watch. And she's, and, and she's, just, and she's just had it, you know? Yeah. And then I go, okay, the game's over. The Mets won. Now watch how it happened. Yeah. <laughs> and she was, I, I, she was just belligerent at me oh, at, at no. that point. Um, and then uh, game seven, uh, again, I mean, I was just completely drained uh, when it was over. But uh, I, had, I had a lot of sentiment for the Red Sox. And when they showed the Red Sox dugout, and in particular, Wade Boggs. Boggs was crying. He was yeah, sobbing. I started crying. I was, I was just like, I can, I can feel how bad he feels. And it was just you know, very, very emotional. Yeah, and, seeing, uh, seeing a Roscoe strike out Marty Barrett and just throw his glove in the air again the, like he did at the Astrodome. That's the iconic yep, moment. Yep. In fact, they, they, that's his bobblehead. Is it really? Is, is him oh, throwing his glove up in the air. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so awesome. cool. But uh, yeah, 86 Mets, yeah. World Series champions. And uh, I needed to ask you as kind of like a postscript to this. This was their only World Series of that era with all of this young talent do you honestly think they could have won more because i feel like they left some couple yeah and i think that uh, any fan and probably the players feel that way uh 87 started off with doc being suspended for for cocaine use uh and uh they had a number of injuries in 87 i think in 87 they had a guy named terry leach who won like 11 games because they just needed him all the time and uh and then in '88 they got to the world. Uh, to they the won playoffs, the division. And they, they were, were dominant. Yeah, yeah. and and they had beaten the Dodgers 11 out of 12 that year. And I lived in L.A. Mm. and I did not like the Dodgers. No. And all my friends were Dodger fans, oh, and it no. was brutal. <laughs> it was absolutely brutal. Well, that that was the uh, if Gooden doesn't give up that home run to Sosha yeah. at Shea, yeah, it was Crusher. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Dave, David Cohn had joined the staff at that point. He was like a yeah. I think a 20 game winner. I think that he went year. like 20 and three that year. Yeah. Yeah. And they won 100 games. Yeah. And uh, here's what I was in. I was in. I was in Boston of all places for a wedding. Okay. During the playoffs, 
So coming back, it's the Sosha game is going on while I'm on the plane. Oh no! So I said to my wife, I go, I go, I, I, people are going to start talking. They're going to hear. I'm, I don't want to know. I had the game taping at home. I was going to yeah. watch it when I got home. You know. So she hands me her Walkman. Yeah, eighty six. <laughs> I put it on. Well, it's got some like inspirational self help speaker on there. But it's like I got to have something so I don't hear anything. You know. And going through the airport when I got there, it's like, don't look at the monitors, don't look at any screens, yeah, no don't look bars. at the expressions of the people, you yeah. know, they're all Dodger fans here. And uh, then I got home and it was probably like, you know, midnight and I started watching the game. Oh. And so it was like two in the morning when, when the Socha hit that one and it was just like, oh. Thought you were going to say, and then Kramer came in. He was like, can you believe these guys? <laughs> yep. And you're like, I taped it. <laughs> well, I think we should point out for people uh, listening who may not, uh, you know, no baseball lore quite as well. You mentioned Roger McDowell. Of course, he's yeah. better known to audiences as the second spitter. Bitter on Seinfeld. On Seinfeld yeah. Oh, and, uh, such yeah. a great episode. <laughs> Keith Hernandez. And then the Roger McDowell comes out of the bushes. Uh, so uh, Nice game, pretty boy. <laughs> oh, God, I love that so much. Back into the And you know, Hernandez now, along with Darling, are the, they're the color commentators for the Mets games. And it, it's, just, it's, it's just a treat. Every Even if they're losing, yeah. I'll just listen because they just, you know, they have a good time. They talk about the, they talk about those teams. They talk about what they would have done, and they uh, talk about what you want to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. baseball yeah. and baseball from that era. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I've always like wondered if the '88 series would have been that Mets team against that dominant A's team would have shaken out because yeah, yeah. that would have oh man that would have been so good. I mean, obviously the Dodgers won. Kudos to them because Hershiser was unstoppable that year he broke the drysdale streak i was actually at the game he broke it oh yeah uh -huh. i was one and a half my parents took me <laughs> no i swear to god they took me to padres game i was gonna ask I if he kept scoring born. no but uh <laughs> we went because it was the last game of the regular season and hershiser was pitching and he needs 10 innings to break don right, drysdale right, streak yeah. and the game after nine innings is zero to zero so he comes out for the bottom of the 10th because the dodgers scored in the top of the 10th and he wins the game and he sets the record it was, it's, it's too corny to write it you yeah know? it really is yeah but uh yeah team of destiny that year but uh yeah the mets it just seems like they left too many on the table yeah, yeah, and then yeah drugs and trading players away and i i i, I think i think you might have had a point about davy johnson and i was a huge fan and i mean of course yeah. i i, I uh, have great esteem for him but I did feel like uh, there were times when he should have taken more control of the team after that. And uh, you're familiar with Greg Jeffries. Yeah, the Jeffries good. situation yeah. was and, weird. And yeah. it does seem like, uh, in short, Jeffries was a rookie. He was resented by the other players. They gave him a lot of shit, kind of crushed him. Um, and he and, was a future all-star. Yeah, I mean. and he had, yeah, he went on to have a somewhat of a career. I think he had 340 one year. Yeah. But um, the thing was that, and from what I understand and even reading things he says now, uh, yeah, he was kind of a dick. Yeah. But uh, they I, 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 there, were, there was a case much. where there was no spot for him without moving one of the entrenched infielders. Yep. And Johnson never really made that call. Like, you're sitting, this is the guy. It was always kind of like, we'll figure out what we're going to do. And that, the resentment just kind of built up, and that wasn't good. You know? Yeah, like they got rid of um, uh, Knight after the World Series and yeah. put in Hojo. And then um, the, Mitchell's, the Mitchell thing I found the most tragic is because he did nothing wrong, right. is that there were rumors that he was the bad influence behind Doc and Daryl. And both Gooden and Strawberry admitted like later, like, no, he did nothing. He, 
the, the only thing about Mitchell was he had a temper and he was a fighter because he that's the way he grew he up. Was. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah. He he was. I mean, you know, he drink beers and have a good time, but he was never a drug guy or anything like that. And they made the decision to trade for a Frank Cash. Cashin was apparently obsessed with Kevin McReynolds for whatever reason. Like he always wanted him on his team. And when they offered Mitchell to go to San Diego, they traded McReynolds to the Mets. Mm-hmm. And he had a good career for him, but mm-hmm. oh yeah, uh, yeah. They they got rid of Mitchell. They got rid of Knight. I mean, I think the last guy that was left from that team was like Tim Tuffle, and he left in like ninety one, nineteen ninety. I mean, they really dismantled that team that they put together right after. Well, by the time like eighty nine, uh, uh, Hernandez uh, at the end, health was starting to Carter. go. Uh, yeah, they, those, those guys were getting, you know, kind of worn out by it. But uh, uh, I agree, and I've heard uh, Darling and Hernandez say on the Mets broadcast talking about Kevin Mitchell, they're the same thing. It's He shouldn't have been traded. He was such a great influence. They, they loved him. It was just the opposite. Everybody loved him. He was a great teammate. Yeah, uh, and um, McReynolds was always kind of standoffish and quiet. Like, he, it's the whole argument for chemistry is, like, you want – McReynolds might have been a better player, but Mitchell, even though he's a future MVP, he just fits so much better in that locker room yeah, with yeah, those guys. Yeah. yeah, Lenny Dykstra always says, Kevin McReynolds is one of the best baseball players I've ever seen, but all he wanted to do was go back to Arkansas and hunt. <laughs> he was, yeah, I don't remember. I don't know what his voice sounded like. I never remember speaking or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, he never talked. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he was going to be in that painting, American Gothic, but he was too dour. Exactly. For the painting, <laughs> yeah. So he didn't use him. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Now, I'm not comparing Kevin McReynolds, Kevin McReynolds to you in that sense. Oh, well, thank I you. I his ability as player. Yes. You're not dour. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, let's just give Dave a big thank you. It flew by, guys. What a Seriously, great, Dave. What a I great, really appreciate great, great time it. we had. Yeah, yeah appreciate first you guest ever. Yep. And, um, uh, is this on podcast, by the way, with Phil Gordon? Right. Um, you can hear that on all the uh, streaming platforms uh, right here out of Tucson. Yeah. So, and, uh, Today we uh, we decided uh, we were so tired. We were doing Trump material for like six months. Oh, wow. And I, and I go, let's just talk. <laughs> let's just talk about other things. So. Uh, yeah, you guys are really uh, pro-Trump, right? <laughs> <laughs> and with that, let's note, wait till how the election comes out. Okay, let's just wait and see. We're still waiting. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing. Anyway, Don, thanks a just... lot for having me. I really appreciate it. Really, yeah, really, of course, really man. Fun, that was fun great. being here. I really, yeah. Dave. It's pleasure's all on this side of the table. Honestly, yeah, thank you. Hey, everybody! Thanks for listening to that podcast. This is just a stock message at the end of all of our podcasts. So we hope you enjoy. You listen to whatever athlete that was. Give us a follow at the Sports Experience Podcast on Instagram. Also, myself at Sequin Comedy on Instagram. Also, Detola Dominic on Instagram. Just follow us all around. If you have any suggestions for any athletes you want us to do, shoot us an email at the Sports Experience Podcast at gmail.com. And we always are recording right here at Angle Studio. Thank you all very much. <laughs>